Hi, I'm Amit Sharma at the All In Food Studios of the Food Decisions Research Laboratory at Penn State's School of Hospitality Management. Welcome to this podcast. I'm recording on site in Las Vegas, the location of our special guest for this podcast. I'll explain. So this is a special podcast for us, the 100th episode since we began recording. And so we had to make this podcast or an episode about a special person and also a special idea. People are special because of what they do and the difference they make in others' lives. Or as the saying goes, we stand on the shoulder of giants. So we chose to focus this podcast on the idea of mentoring and mentors, and more specifically, on one of the giants in our academic field of hospitality, leisure, and tourism. Before I introduce to you our special guest for this 100th episode, I want to stay true to our mission of focusing on sustainability. In this case, though, the focus would be on sustainable outcomes. Mentoring and being mentored is that essential glue that binds the doer with their success. I propose that for us to ensure sustainable success, we need to seek out great mentors and then continue that cycle by mentoring others. Now to our special guest. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Stuart Mann as our special guest in this 100th episode of the All in Foods podcast. Following his BS in mathematics at University of Illinois, Dr. Mann went on to the Officer Candidate School, or OCS, and became a naval officer. After five years in the Navy, he went on to graduate school for his MS and PhD at Case Institute of Technology in Cleveland, Ohio. His first academic position was Assistant Professor of Operations Research in the Department of Industrial Engineering at Purdue. After two years, he moved on to Penn State in 1970 as Associate Professor. He was promoted and tenured at Penn State. In addition to his professorate, Dr. Mann held positions as department head and assistant dean until about 1988 when he was named director of the School of Hotel, Restaurant, and Recreation Management. In 1998, he moved on to UNLV as dean of the Hara College of Hotel Administration. He spent 12 years as dean before his retirement in 2010. There is another special association I have with Dr. Mann. Dr. Mann is one of the endowers of the professorship to which I have been appointed, the Ed Friedman and Stuart Mann Professor of Hospitality Management at Penn State University. Mr. Friedman and Dr. Mann, the dear friends that have generously supported this professorship. Dr. Stuart Mann, welcome to the All in Food Studios. It's an honor to be speaking with you. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Amit. So um, I'm going to start with, uh, uh, with with a general question, and then we'll we know we're going to get down to some real business as well. But how do you how did you develop such a successful career? Uh, it's, I guess, the 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 strange thing about my career is that it has been a zigzag path. Um, Probably many other people have had such pads, but uh, mine started, as you, as you said, as an um, undergraduate studying mathematics. 
um, and ended up with a, I, I started in engineering and ended up in mathematics because I'd had so much math and engineering and I didn't work too well together. So I ended up with a degree in mathematics and then went on to become a Navy officer. And uh, that uh, allowed me to go on to graduate school, actually. I, I owe a lot to the Navy because I um, uh, took courses uh, in extension through UCLA while I was in the Navy, uh, stationed at uh, China Lake Naval Air Station in uh, right here in, in uh, across the Mojave Desert from where I'm sitting right now. And I took courses and got great recommendations from those uh, faculty members from UCLA and, and uh, got uh, into uh, Case Tech, where I got a master's and a PhD in operations research. And operations research I found by trying to decide what could I do with an undergraduate mathematics degree. Well, operations research happens to be the mathematics of management science. So it fit very well. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to teach as a graduate student, enjoyed teaching and decided that um, an academic position was what I was looking for. So I started at Purdue in industrial engineering. And while I was there, I kept getting phone calls from the head of a new program, a new college at Penn State. The new program was called Man Environment Relations. It was the study of the interaction of human beings with the built environment. Mm -hmm. And they were putting together a program with all, all different disciplines. And I was one of a kind in my discipline of operations research, along with uh, others in uh, environmental psychology and architecture, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, after pleading, 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 I finally agreed to go to Penn State and, and join that faculty. And it was a great decision that I made because it gave me a great opportunity to, to be with an interdisciplinary faculty and also to be able to start uh, an operations research program there. So um, I, I created what was called a, a dual title degree program, and it wasn't a it wasn't a department. It it was a program that had uh, an affiliation with many departments at the university. So uh, you could get a degree in, and I'll I'll come back to this. For example, forestry and operations research. Uh, as well as uh, engi industrial engineering and operations research. We had, must have had 20 different programs participating in this. This program, I think, is still going on at Penn State, but it was the first of its kind in the country. And I was really proud of that. And, and uh, I did that. I, I was in charge of that for about 10 years. That um, held various administrative positions. And uh, uh, I was able to... Uh, really enjoy that aspect of, of my career. And while I was doing that at Penn State, I had had students from hospitality management as uh, master's degree students where I supervised their thesis. They needed, they needed somebody with a PhD to put their signature on the thesis because they didn't have any PhDs at that time in the hospitality program at Penn State. That's mm. the initial connection that I had with hospitality. Because the deep down secret is I never worked in a restaurant and I never worked in a hotel. Hmm. My only real food service experience was one summer as a kid working in a Dairy Queen. That was my hospitality experience. So um, getting, getting back to that then, um, late in uh, about 1988, that means about 18 years after I was at um, uh, Penn State, um, I was asked by the dean if I would 
uh, take over the hospitality program because she had just released the the director who was who was there. And I mm -hmm. said, okay, but I only want to do it on an interim basis. I had done other kinds of administrative jobs. And so I said, okay. And then I started that and she said, well, how about bringing together the hospitality program and the recreation and park management program? Doesn't that make sense to you? I said, well, absolutely it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Let's see what we could create. And we created a school of hotel, restaurant and recreation management. And I became the first director of that program and was in that position until I retired from Penn State as Professor Emeritus and moved on to UNLV as Dean, mm -hmm. as Dean of a hotel administration program recognized worldwide as one of the best. Mm -hmm. um, now, while I was at Penn State, um, a friend of mine was going out of the furniture business and wondered if I would buy that store from him. Now, I was looking to um, to do something in the real world because I'd never had a management position in the real world, even though I had this academic degree in, in, manage, in management. And so I, I said yes. And so I bought this small furniture store, a small contemporary furniture store in 1979 and operated that along with my wife for about, well, we opened in 1979 and in 1992, we closed it. We had up to three different stores. At, in two in, in State College, Pennsylvania, and one in Harrisburg. But it's a tough, tough business. And uh, I learned a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. I really learned a lot that uh, the books don't begin to tell you. So that was part of my career. But uh, you can see that it zigzagged between uh, the mathematics of management science and hospitality. And finding my way into hospitality was really... Uh, in my mind, very strange. Hmm. So that was so, that was how it happened. So I'm I'm going to make an assumption here that you probably didn't plan for it to be a zigzag. Um, <laughs> how how did you embrace that? Because obviously, any, any every step you took, you were you were successful. Uh, how how did you embrace that uh, zigzagging, so to speak? I really enjoyed what I was doing. So yeah. I, I look forward to each step along the way. Uh, I embraced each step as being an opportunity. Yeah. And so I took advantage of it. That's how I, that's how I feel about it today, that I took advantage of what was offered to me. Yeah. So looking back, what did you, what did you enjoy? Do you think what you enjoyed the most about your career? I think one, one word I look back on, and that is the ability to be creative and to be allowed to be creative. That really gave me an opportunity in the positions that I had to do lots of different things that hadn't been done before. And so I, I talked a little bit about that dual title degree that was original, had never been done before. Um, working with graduate students and, and being allowing them to be creative and helping them be creative and being creative along with them. Uh, two things stand out in my mind with the uh, two students. Uh, I was teaching a, a course in an optimization theory called dynamic programming. And I had a student from forestry that I timed that together with that dual title degree. He was a, a degree student in that program. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, um, a term called bucking in forest, which is chopping up of the trees once they're felled for before they're going to the mill or as they're going to the mill. And how do you do that to get the most out of a tree? That's mm. tree bucking. We created the first 
optimization program for that tree bucking. It was, um, it was published in the Forest Products Journal and it was um, taken on by Weyerhaeuser Corporation. And hmm. they talked about it in a article that they wrote that they were saving millions of dollars a year using this optimization program. Now, of course, this was in the public domain. I didn't make any money about uh, from this. I gave a seminar at Weyerhaeuser, so it was it was all good. But that's that's one of the things. Another thing with a graduate student was to create a um, social indicator for life satisfaction. Hmm. That was published in in the Social Indicator Journal, and that was another uh, creative opportunity that I had. Uh, another thing, when I came to um, UNLV, I was given the opportunity to create uh, cooperative academic programs with uh, international academic institutions. So I was, mm. uh, I was privileged to travel internationally to create a very great number of those uh, academic agreements. I also was able to create the first international campus for UNLV in Singapore. We had mm. a degree in hospitality management in Singapore that was very successful for a large number of years. And, and that was a great experience for me because I was able to work directly with the Singapore government and to arrange with a, a significant uh, loan with the government. And um, that was another creative opportunity. Um, I also, I also enjoyed seeing the success of undergraduates and graduate students. And in particular, uh, I'm very, very proud of the number of former faculty members that I have had working with me that have gone on to uh, significant administrative positions, mm. um, really internationally. So that, that's something that I'm very proud of. Mm. So you know you meant you mentioned a lot of things, um, and particularly the the you know your experience with working with graduate students and undergraduate students and also faculty mentors. Where do you see um, where do you see that we ought to be putting more emphasis now in in where we are right now in our academics? Um, where where do you think we need to we might be missing? Uh, we, we're missing, um, how do I say, miss, uh, missing the focus, if you want to call it, when it, particularly when it comes to creativity, as you rightly said. Oh, that's an interesting question. That's yeah. not, something, not something I'd thought of. Um, I think, I think the, the word mentor really is important when you, when you have graduate students working with uh, faculty. There needs to be a real good match. There needs to be a uh, synergy between the two that really results in those two people creating something that is worthwhile. Uh, you have to have a, an appreciation of the faculty member for the graduate student and vice versa. That, that combination of those two working together is really important. If you don't have that closeness, that good working relationship, you don't get that kind of creative result. So that's what I would focus on to make sure that match is really good. Okay, thank you. So, uh, so we talked about you know, what you enjoyed in, in, your, in your career. Is there anything you would have done differently in your working years? Well, one thing I would have done is taken more sabbatical leaves. 
I only, I only <laughs> ended up in all my years, I only ended up taking one sabbatical leave. Well, um, you know, that's a really good point, right? So could, could you could you say why? Why why do you think that you say that? Well, there were there were a number of, of personal things that kept me from from leaving. No, to, true, but why that. why do you think you you should have taken more? It, oh, I see. It, it it would have given me an opportunity to explore a number of different uh, avenues of interest. Let me tell you what I did uh, in 1984. I took my sabbatical leave at the University of Arizona in Tucson, where a very good friend of mine who I'd gone to graduate school with was the uh, dean of uh, I guess it was a not called business school, but that's what it was. It was mm-hmm. there in Tucson. And I, I taught a course or two and uh, did some research on my own. I took along with me a desktop computer. I had only mm-hmm. been familiar with um, mainframes. And I wanted to teach myself how to use a desktop computer. So I focused on that for six months, teaching myself different languages. I taught myself uh, DBase 2, uh, Algol, uh, maybe another language, I don't remember, um, and wrote a program in DBase 2, which was a cookbook for my wife, a relational database where she could find recipes and, and do different kinds of things. So that was a fascinating experience for me to do something totally different than I'd ever done before. And so it was a very good learning experience for me and get, I got away from teaching, I got away from administration and it was a real good opportunity. And I fully support sabbatical leave for, for that reason. It's a, a cleansing experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anything else? I know because I interrupted you earlier that, that you would have done differently. No, I was satisfied with the directions that I was taking and, yeah. and the results that I that I had from them. So I think that's the main thing that I, as I look back, I, I wish I had done, been able to do. You know, as we were preparing for this podcast, we we, we spoke uh, uh, off off the air, so to speak, and 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 not to get into any of the specifics. But you know, each each one of us has challenges, and I'm sure you had your share of challenges in your in your career. What ha, what did you learn from those challenging experiences? Um, number one, always make the decision that you think is right, regardless of what may be the outcome. Those decisions aren't going to please everyone. They never do. Um, don't be swayed by the loudest voices trying to persuade you to do otherwise. That's the number one thing that I learned. I also learned that I didn't communicate enough. I needed to be more information giving of what was going on with the people that I was working with and people who were working for me. So that was one of the lessons that I learned and probably never was very successful in completing um, that task of being a good communicator. And I regret that, but those, those are the two things that, as I look back, are probably things that I've learned. Hmm. Yeah, you, you raise a really good point, you know, and, and, and despite the fact that we have so much information flowing around us, oftentimes it's, it, it, you know, the communication is still a challenge. How do, you, how do you channel it to the right person at the right time and, and for the right reasons and purposes? So, so that's a really good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. As dean, um, I was always very involved, very engaged 
And the people who were uh, faculty, staff, and students always wanted to know what was going on because mm. they could see the engagement both in the States and internationally. They wanted to know what was happening. And, and I, I needed to do more in informing them. And, I, and I, I failed in being able to give them enough information where they were satisfied. Whenever mm. I had an annual review, that was always at the top of the list. He needs to communicate more. Um, so, Dr. Mann, at this point, we uh, we introduce a question for our listeners as, as a quiz. So, so please stay here. We're, we're, we'll come back uh, to our discussion. Uh, so, today's uh, question is also in tune with what you had already talked about a little bit, uh, have begun to talk about. So, for our listeners, um, here's uh, the question, uh, the quiz question of uh, for today's podcast. Uh, we've been talking about mentors and mentoring. So what percentage of professionals have a mentor? Uh, and of course, we'll give you the answer at the end of this uh, episode. Okay, so Dr. Mann, um, we talked about the challenging times um, and, and, and you, you sort of have already hinted on this, but, but let me ask you uh, more explicitly, what have been your guiding principles um, at work and, and in life? Yeah, well, I would say, number one, don't worry about the small stuff. Uh, only concern yourself with the things over which you have control. Uh, that's been absolutely pinnacle to my thinking. Uh, it also helps me go to sleep at night by not uh, worrying about stuff that I have no control over. Um, also, um, I've always tried to hire the best people for the job and just let them loose and do their thing. Never try to micromanage them uh, and have trust in people. Those are, those have been the guiding principles, I believe in, in my work and in my life, really. My wife uh, comments to me, why do you have so much trust in people? Because that's the way I've been. That's the way I've lived my life to have trust in people. Do you think sometimes we dwell over the small things too much that that itself we create some of the, some of the challenges for ourselves without With, without thinking. a doubt without a doubt we do yeah yeah a, and I think common, it's a common fallacy right and, and I think your and I think going back to what you had earlier talked about your zigzag career in in some ways you were sort of looking at the big picture and not worrying about where this was taking you and and enjoying absolutely. it i suppose absolutely that that's a very good uh, very good thought okay so um i have to ask you about this um and i know we we talked briefly uh, uh, as I introduced in my, uh, in, as I was talking in my introduction, um, Mr. Ed Friedman is also one of the one of the endowers of the professorship that you have uh, generously and both of you have contributed. Um, he was a dear friend of yours. Uh, I know a little bit about Mr. Friedman, and that's another uh, example of an, of a mentor who has not just been of an immediate impact, but has gone above and beyond to his local community. For those of us who don't know much about it, can you talk a little bit about what his legacy has been um, for the community and beyond of what what he has contributed as a mentor? Yeah, let me start by telling a, an interesting uh, anecdote about my uh, 
meeting Mr. Ed Friedman. Um, in 1979, uh, Mr. Ed Friedman was dating a, a young lady by the name of Doreen Rosenberg. And he had uh, to go out of town on a business trip. And I met Doreen Rosenberg in a disco. And we uh, began a relationship that never ended. So um, I stole Doreen from Mr. Ed Friedman and married her shortly thereafter. So um, he and I uh, became very close friends in spite of my stealing his girlfriend. Um, he um, was a very warm, unassuming, very, very well-to-do uh, young man. Um, was a, had a degree in law and practiced real estate law, uh, but not really as an attorney, as a real estate developer for his own business. Mm -hmm. he, um, he worked very well with others, always was working and developing in groups of local individuals. Um, owned real estate with his family and then on his own uh, in central Pennsylvania, um, was very, very well recognized as being important in the community. He was an interesting guy, had lots of interesting hobbies. One was uh, old vehicles. Another, he was uh, an alpaca farmer. He owned a beautiful home on 28 acres in Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania. Um, he, um, he was smart and an outstanding businessman and recognized for that. He was tough. He, he was a tough landlord, he, but he always did what he thought was appropriate for uh, the community and for his business. But he was also very, very well liked. I loved him dearly. I miss him. You know, you know one of the things that he is known for is the entrepreneurial success. And we, 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 are, we are constantly trying to ingrain that in our students. Um, if, if he was here, what do you think he would say in terms of what, how, how could we as teachers be more effective in telling our students what they can achieve above and beyond just you know, working for others? Well, he enjoyed working for himself. I know that. Um, yeah. Even though he was part of a family business originally, he really enjoyed working for himself. And he would convey that to students that the joy that you would get out of being able to do things on your own and achieve, he would, he would focus on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's where the creativity that you were talking about, that you have, you have that freedom to, to, to do what you really want to do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Okay, Dr. Martin, we've kept you a, a long time. I have one, one last question for you, and, and, and this is probably really important for all of us. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting their career or, or even, um, uh, even others uh, of us who, who are, you know, hopefully at some stage in our careers? Yeah. Well, when I have students who came to me uh, for advice, not knowing exactly what they want to do, what they wanted to study, I always said to, said to them, you have to be passionate about what you want to study. There are too many hours in the day, too many years that you're going to be working not to love what you're going to be doing. So make sure what you're doing, you're really in love with. And I often said to them, what do you like to do as a hobby? 
kind of see if you can kind of uh, create something where what you love to do can be put into your world of work. A lot of people like to, to read and to do research. Well, you know, become a faculty member. That kind of fits in. A lot of people like to be cooks, like to be interact with people. It focuses on the hospitality industry if you wanted to move in that direction. But if you didn't like, if students coming to me in hospitality didn't like to interact with people, I would tell them you're in the wrong field. You need to mm -hmm. move on. And I would say uh, uh, that's, that's the same thing with people starting in their careers. Be prepared to work long hours. You can't be successful without working and putting in a full day or more. Uh, read, read incessantly. Uh, listen to pundits and mentors. Find a good mentor. But don't ever stop learning. Treat learning as a lifetime profession. I mean, I read constantly. I listen to things constantly. I enjoy that. That's been my life. But I, I tell that to others, that it's really important to become a lifelong learner if you want to be successful in a career. Thank you. Um, and connect so beautifully with everything that else that you have said. Um, you've obviously enjoyed every twist and turn that life gave you. Uh, you, you made the best of that, uh, had, have been creative, have been successful, not just in your career, and, but even in your relationships. Um, that 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 you developed over the years, um, I, I I think that's that's really wonderful advice because it just connects all all those pieces that that came with it. Um, thank you for taking the time. This truly My was pleasure. an honor. Thank it you. Was, it, and it was great to meet you day before yesterday at or, or I, two days ago I think we had uh, dinner. So yes, I, I'm 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 so glad that we did that. Okay, so uh, you you ended on the note of mentoring. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about mentoring before we uh, we wrap this up. Um, this is the answer to our uh, quiz uh, question for today. According to a study conducted by Gartner and Capital Analytics, only thirty seven percent of professionals have a mentor. So to Dr. Mann's point, find a mentor. Pew Research Center also found that sixty three percent of women have never had a mentor. Uh, in fact, research shows that entrepreneurship in particular gets hurt. Women entrepreneurs are few. That's, that's one of the reasons is that they don't have mentors or they have not had a mentor. 89% of those who have been mentored feel that they will go on to be a mentor to, the, to, the other, to others as well. Uh, the study also found that several positive outcomes associated with mentoring. For instance, employees who have been mentored are promoted five times more often than those who are not in any type of mentorship program. The, the same study found that mentors are promoted six times more often. Retention rates for mentees are 72% compared to 49% for employees who do not participate in the mentorship program. Does that surprise you at all, Dr. Man? Not at any all. Of this? Yeah. No. I, I, yeah. Okay, Dr. Man, thank you again. This this was such a uh, such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I'm so glad we did that. Thank you, thank you. It's been my and thank and thank you for also making this a, a special episode. Thank you to you all for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with two or more people who you think will benefit from listening to it. And as always, make safe and informed food choices and also life choices. If you don't have a mentor, make sure you find one. As you heard, not just anyone but someone who can give you guidance 
and when possible don't miss out on an opportunity to be a mentor yourself above all please stay healthy and cheerful we will be back in our studio facility in the merit foundation building of the school of hospitality management for our next episode until next time from the olympus studios this is amit sharma thank you for listening